Hello everyone, welcome to the start of the week. I hope everybody's well. And thank you so much for tuning into All About Fertility podcast. I'm Ella, your host. Last week, we heard the story of Beck and Leone's surrogacy journey. And, you know, just listening back to the podcast, I did shed a tear because of the pure joy in Beck's voice when she relived her story. Now, I wanted to take you in a different direction, still within the selfless acts of amazing people like my next guest. But what if you needed to go down the egg donor path and you're having a difficult time finding a donor? Like finding a known egg donor in Australia can be difficult already. So where do you start if you actually can't find one? I'm speaking to Genevieve Ace, who is an absolute gorgeous blonde bombshell and has been an egg donor herself. And by her donations has led to nine births all around the world. Now, it's because of her own experience and her journey, she actually founded The Travelling Donor. So welcome, Genevieve, and thank you so much for joining me. Now, before we get into it, can you introduce yourself and just tell us a little bit about what you do? Uh, My my name is Genevieve Ace. I am the founder of Travelling Donors. I founded this company in December 2011 through my own experiences of an egg donor, and I now help match intending parents with known egg donors across the globe. That's really interesting and an interesting business. And I'm going to guess that that's something that you didn't quite um, picture while you were at university. So can you tell us about your experience that led you to the birth of Travelling Donor? Well, I had, I was about 20 years old and I I found out that a a close family member was struggling with uh, infertility and had gone through a round of IVF that was not successful. And they were visiting South Africa from the UK and I overheard um, a conversation between my mum and them that they didn't really have enough money for more than maybe another round because in the UK it's just so expensive. And I overheard the word egg donor. Um, for them, they didn't feel comfortable with the, t- the idea of it just yet and I had never heard of this before. So I hopped onto Google and I did some of my own research to find out what it exactly meant. And I decided that after about eight months that this was something I felt comfortable with. And I decided to apply to an agency locally in South Africa. So then I donated locally in South Africa and once abroad in India. But neither of those two experiences were what I'd hoped my you know, egg donor journey would be. And that's where I sought to start my own international agency to ensure that other egg donors didn't have poor experiences like I did. So when you mean poor experiences, can you just walk us through some of the experiences you had? Okay, so for me, when I donated in Cape Town, I felt like a number. The doctors didn't do the courtesy of really getting to know my name. Every time I came in, uh, I had a different doctor do my scans and this wasn't communicated to me prior to me starting my egg donor cycle. And I, you know, that's definitely something you want to be told up front. If you're aware that you're going to have different doctors scanning you, it's no big deal. But when it's your first donor cycle, you you want to know this information up front so that you can be mentally prepared because it is intimidating and invasive yeah. and I was 
I think I was just before, just after my 21st birthday. So I was 21 years old, Mm -hmm. still very young. Um, And then also once I completed the donor cycle in in South Africa um, on the day of retrieval, um, while I was in recovery, the nurse came up to me and um, gave me my tea and cheese and tomato sandwiches and put the envelope with the reimbursement check next to me and basically just said, when you're finished eating, you can leave. There was no discharge instructions. There was no follow-up care. There was no one asking how I was. Mm. N- no um, warning about what to look out for in case of OHS. So for me, that just wasn't how I wanted to be treated. And it sort of left a bad taste in my mouth and about the whole experience. And I wasn't really interested in doing it again after that. Mm. However, uh, my boyfriend at the time, his sister had also just recently completed an egg retrieval, I think within days of each other. I think she, hers was two days before mine. Mm-hmm. And she had a completely different experience at a different clinic in Cape Town. Um, so she eventually, you know, convinced me to travel overseas with her through this company that was taking donors to, to Mumbai, India. Uh, it sounded all exciting. There ended up being about 20 of us traveling together. And, you know, I've never, I've been overseas before, but never to a country like India. I'd, I'd been to the UK, so it was a lot more first world. And once we were all there, I just didn't feel that there was enough um, support mm-hmm. and attention to detail. There were two coordinators for like a full group of 20 girls, which, as you can imagine, you know, 20 different girls on hormones in a hotel um, two people can't really provide the correct emotional support for everybody simultaneously. Mm. So I also didn't really enjoy the way the doctors um, interacted with us. You know, information wasn't communicated to us directly. Mm. Um, I also felt that because it was in India, we had a male doctor, I definitely felt that because I was female, I wasn't given the, the same respect. Um, and I do understand that's a cultural difference, but... I think when you're taking such a large number of girls overseas, that's definitely something you want to ensure you have a doctor that is going to, you know, respect whoever is a patient um, at the clinic. Did you feel like you were just a number and they were just harvesting your eggs and that was it? Well, I did to an extent, especially when, you know, we weren't really allowed to ask the the doctor questions directly the coordinators sort of shuffled us in and out between scans. And that also is not how I see it being. If, as an aid donor, if you want to speak to your IVF doctors directly, you're fully within your right to do so. If there's a language barrier or cultural differences, your coordinator is meant to be there to enable, to support and facilitate the communication. Um, you know, they are, your med- they are the medical professionals. You're, you should be allowed to speak to them um, as they are the ones with the most knowledge and information. Um, so after that, that's when I sort of looked online to see if there was maybe a different agency I could maybe go through again or someone who had a different approach to a donation. And really back then there wasn't any other small boutique agencies which really prioritized donor safety and donor experience. Um, a lot of people and agencies even to this day still put the priority on the intending parents' experience um, instead of the donor. Whereas we try and make sure that it's a 50-50 split, that both the egg donor and intended parent are getting the, the attention to detail that they deserve. And then Travelling Donors was born. Yes. So I can understand, and my listeners, can you just walk me through your process from the time someone engages with you? What, what can they expect? 
So when intended so when an intended parent contacts us, usually we get an email either from our website or often word of mouth, um, someone they know has recommended us and often they'll say, hi, we're so-and-so from this country and we're looking for an egg donor, um, could you please assist? And after that, we'll send through some information about traveling donors, which will include, you know, example cost sheets. Uh, we'll supply our registration forms so that we have everyone's correct information. And we also request four to six uh, photos of the intending mom. Mm -hmm. And this assists us in the donor match. And all, as not all our aid donors are always online at the same time, and so that all we, give, we receive new donor applications that may be a better suitable match to someone online. So that's what we use the photos for. Once we have received those, we will then provide access to our database and we will start sharing um, profiles with the intended parents. Um, then if they have selected, we recommend to select two candidates that you would like to know more information about or for us to reach out to find out about availability, if they can do a video um, Skype call between the parents, uh, myself, one of my coordinators, uh, so that everyone can get to know each other a little bit. Um, and then once that's done, we also do, we also do, not actually before that, we ask the, we send the intended parents another form where we ask them to write a little bit about their, who they are as people and a little bit about their fertility journey so that we can share the photos and that with the donor, as I do believe that, in, that egg donors have as much of a right to know who they're helping as the intended parents do who get to select donor profiles. Mm -hmm. um, and, and to this day, we've never had a donor turn a couple down based on the information that's shared. Mm -hmm. I have seen that the trend has been that more egg donors want to know who they're helping. They don't really want it to be 100% anonymous while they're happy to um, do the donation and see photos, hear a story, and maybe set up a separate email address so they can communicate over the years as much as each party is comfortable with. Um, not many egg donors are wanting to be 100% anonymous anymore. That's mm. been that's a trend I've seen over the last sort of four years. So once we have completed those steps, we will then complete the contract and invoice and the donor program funds are sent to an escrow company called Seed Trust. And this is to ensure that we're able to facilitate as much transparency as possible so the intended parents can see that the funds are being spent exactly as per the invoice that was provided to them and in the contract. Um, and also the, the escrow company is able to ensure that the donor's reimbursements are sent directly to them. It also helps to remove human error um, as they are, you know, the ones who are in the in the finance industry and able to ensure that all the banking details are correct, and we are able to focus on giving the intended parents and the donors um, the attention that they need. Well, look, I'm just going to address this now um, because we all know that IVF treatment can be pretty expensive and then some. So, what about your service? Is it expensive? It's fifty percent more affordable than the USA. <laughs> <laughs> Look, depending on where on, on where your egg donor is coming mm -hmm. from and where you want to do treatment, those factors will um, significantly change your donor program. But on average, if you were doing um, an egg donor cycle in Cyprus, 
you're looking at about 12 to 15,000 US dollars as most of our egg, do- especially if your egg donor is traveling from South Africa as the flights um, are what makes it a little bit more expensive. However, we have now started to diversify our database and have a large number of donors living in Europe. And this helps to make programs a lot more affordable as flights between Europe are significantly less expensive for donors coming from South Africa. And if someone was in Australia? So if, if we have, we do have donors in Australia, and that obviously means most of the time um, it would be domestic flights. And intended parents would pay for these directly. We will assist and facilitate um, the best routes and the best dates according to the donor cycle that's being planned with the clinic. Um, and along with that, you know, the accommodation is also covered directly from the intended parents. And what we do is with the intended parents and the egg donors, we will select Airbnbs, like about a shortest of three options um, that the donor is happy with. Nothing extravagant. I don't believe that donors need to be in five-star hotels. But, you know, a nice, clean, safe, self-catering Airbnb that's not too far from the clinic is what is appropriate. And then once everyone is happy, the intended parents are able to pay for that directly through the link that we sent them on Airbnb. Now, depending on what state you're in, um, in Australia, as a donor, um, you're only allowed to create a certain number of families. So, for example, New South Wales is five families. So I'm assuming that you're working yes. to Australian guidelines. However, can yes. that same donor still be used in the States to create more families? So from what I've uh, understood from the clinic, the answer is no. Um, Because I've had some clinics in Queensland tell me that they would prefer all the donor cycles to take place in Queensland instead of in Victoria Mm -hmm. because of the five family limit. Um, Because one of the forms some of the the clinics make the donor sign is that they will not donate to more than five families and they will not go and donate in Queensland because Queensland allows 10 families. I have facilitated a few donors that traveled from South Africa to New South Wales and I've had to, um, an intended parent selected donor who had already done five families and unfortunately I I said to them it's not possible because I'm not prepared to lie Mm -hmm. to the clinic. Um, You know, because if somebody has to be accountable um, at all times and I feel that, you know, I'm in this industry doing this, I'd like to operate at the most ethical level possible and in order to gain the trust of the clinics in Australia, I need to know that I am beyond Mm -hmm. reproach. So that everything I'm doing is to Australian standards, and you know, many people and many couples that come through us, they do, they are worried about mm. following the rules in Australia. And you know, I have been an egg donor in Australia twice. You know, I donated in Brisbane. I have sent over almost sixty donors to Australia over the years. It might sound a lot, but actually, it's really little um, compared to you know all the other countries we work in, and. Now, now, and what I have done as of this year, because I now we we focus on expanding our database in Australia, and currently we have thirty six donors in Australia that are under the age of thirty two, so um, it's a start. And we do um, pre screening calls with all the donors um, prior to them being matched and prior to them being um, counselled, and we basically go through almost the same kind of questions that they would expect to find when doing their individual counselling and group counselling with the Australian counsellors. And during that, um, we record these on Skype or Zoom, so we're able to save them. Um, 
because we have had one or two hiccups in the start of our program where, you know, we try our best. We're not perfect. We are human. Um, and we, we do provide 24-7 support to the egg donors. And we had one donor who was a bit confused about it and, you know, it created a lot of anxiety and stress for intended parents. And she decided ultimately not to move forward after her initial counselling um, in Australia. And, you know, I learned from that and we decided. And we, at that point, I hadn't thought of doing basically a mock counselling session with the donors. Um, it was never a requirement anywhere in the world. So I, this is now something I've now implemented that, you know, all the donors that do get matched or apply from Australia uh, do undergo a sort of a 45-minute call with one of myself or one of my two coordinators and we record this just to ensure that we avoid anything from like that yeah. happening again. Um, so and during this phone call, we do run over the, the rules and regulations in terms of reimbursement, um, childcare, legal, transportation, lots of wages, you know, any food allowances. And for donors, our donors in Australia, we do require them to supply us with invoices for everything that they're asking for their reimbursement. And this is just to ensure that if any of the clinics had to ask or, you know, anybody wanted to ensure that we were going by the book, we have the actual yeah. evidence in each donor's folder. And what has the response uh, been from the IVF clinics and the IVF specialists uh, when you introduce yourself to them as a third party? Um, and do you speak on behalf of the donor or does the donor actually liaise with the IVF, with the recipient, the IVF clinics and sorts out their own appointments? So in Australia, it is very different, um, but we had a bit of a mixed response. So we have two clinics in Melbourne, actually three. So one of them is very happy for us to work directly with them and we will book the donor's appointments on behalf of the donor and see who in and see the parents in. And we, ensure, you know, we provide prompts and reminders because you need to remember these women are, very, are much younger than your average Australian egg donor who is often around the ages of 32 to 36. She's already completed her family, so there's also a different level of maturity. The donors we have are usually between the ages of 21 and 29, so they're significantly younger. They haven't necessarily had children so they do need more of a helping hand to stay on top of things. But we, we haven't had any, any major issues with girls. They've been very on the ball, very, very generous, very genuine in wanting to help the families. So, and then in Queensland, we also have two clinics. And the one was, is very happy for us to assist in making appointments. And then the other um, prefers that the intended parent and the donor does that um, directly with them and then we request that the parents supply us with all the information so that we can save it in our calendars and instruct you know provide prompts to the donors so that they don't forget and the same goes for we we want the parents to provide us with all the timelines medication dosages copies of all the results so that we can save it on our on our sites for any future cycles so that we have that for our records so if we do rematch a specific donor, we're able to share the information with the next couple or the next IVF specialist. Mm. But I have found that most of the clinics are pretty open-minded. Um, they're actually quite surprised when they hear that the donor is living in Australia, um, which makes them a little bit more um, comfortable in accepting the match and the referral from travelling donors. We have, and then one of our clinics has absolutely no problem working with international donors as long as everything follows the Australian requirements, um, 
you know, it's basically the same. Whether or not you were inviting your um, cousin or sister and flying them in from the UK or America to be your egg donor and, and, and covering all their reimbursements and travel costs, it's exactly the same thing if you had to select a donor living in Europe and then fly her into Australia. And do you liaise with um, or engage with legal firms over here just to ensure a smooth process and to mediate if there's any issues? So really, it's not really required because um, we have a standard contract that we've been using for the last five years, and that has already been reviewed by two legal firms in Australia. And obviously, our our um, legal department in South Africa has also reviewed it, and our contract is also flexible. So, you know, if we need to add or tailor make it slightly depending on each individual circumstances, we're able to do that so that everyone's happy. But obviously things like we don't allow the honor donation of donor embryos. I don't believe in that at all. I believe that donors are entitled to know where their genetics are going to and the fact that they agreed to help this specific couple, not three others that they weren't um, informed about. Because also that reduces the number of families they're allowed to help um, when embryos are donated on. But I know that in all the clinics in Australia, um, the donors have to sign consent for the honour donation of their gametes. Mm. Look, COVID has taken us all by surprise and no one has left exempted from this and has been affected in some way or other. Um, and we've seen our borders closed and no one can enter into the country unless they're a resident or a citizen. How has this affected the recipients and the donor selection process? So it has been quite a hurdle for everybody globally and has seen the IVF industry and alienation um, change significantly. While, well, now obviously we can't bring any international donors into Australia, so this has led us to create um, alternative programs where we are now able to, we have, are able to create um, embryos in South Africa and have them shipped back to Australia so that intended parents will have a wide range of donors that they're able to select from. Um, as you know, the cost of IVF in South Africa is about five and a half thousand Australian. Um, which is a significantly... What? Sorry? Yes. <laughs> it's Could you just repeat that? Did I just hear right? Yeah, it's about 5,500 Australian for the cost of IVF wow. and ICSI. So our South African embryo shipping program would be that. Our donor program fees um, is about 8,000 Australian. And then obviously the return shipping for the sperm to come to South Africa and for the embryos to come back is about... Four and a half thousand, depending on the cryo shipping company that you use. So, all in all, you're looking at under twenty thousand Australian. I know from experience of women who have who do travel to South Africa, they're still paying about sixteen thousand, and they're actually having to, you know, book two flights and their husbands, and everyone's going to take two weeks off work. So, this program alleviates some of those hurdles, um, and your embryos can come straight back and you don't have to take time off work. And everything is followed as per the Australian regulations. Um, donors are counselled um, via Skype or Zoom, which is what all everyone is doing in Australia now because no one can really do in-person appointments anymore due to COVID. So really, um, it doesn't really matter where in the world is taking place as long as we are following Australian guidelines and, and, and regulations the clinics will be happy to accept the embryos back. 
However, the, both the egg donor and the sperm donor need to be known, otherwise you're not able to bring your embryos back to Australia. That is the requirement. And then for those couples who are looking for more Asian donors and Indian donors, we have facilitated created the same program from Kuala Lumpur. Um, our, well, the clinic that we work with in Kuala Lumpur is RTAC accredited. So they are already following Australian re regulations for all their IVF processes, um, both in the lab and for counseling requirements. And um, even their own donors are required to be semi-known to the intended parents now. So those are the two programs we have go we have created because of COVID, um, just to help facilitate the, the the great need for donor eggs due to Australian couples not being able to travel abroad. And then, of course, we do have a small database in Australia that is starting to grow. And if intended parents uh, find a donor that is on that list, we are then we then facilitate the the donor cycle locally. Uh, within Australia. It sounds like you've got a workaround, which is fantastic because, you know, life does go on and people still need donors. So it's great that you have a process in place so people can still access your services. Yes. And unfortunately, I, I, we don't see Australia opening their borders before June next year. Um, so this is going to be one of the only options available to parents yeah. is to import embryos back into Australia uh, and many people ask me, oh, why can't I just bring eggs? Is it because in Australian law regulations, um, they are a bit iffy when it's about importing eggs and you need a lot more um, approvals to get import eggs into Australia. But if you have embryos and a genetic tie to those embryos, it's much easier to import them back to Australia. So how do you differ from the other egg donation companies in Australia and why would someone choose travelling donors? I think the main difference between um, the other egg donation egg donor options within Australia is the age of those donors. Um, I've been informed that uh, a lot of the other donors are much older. Uh, also, the way they go about, they don't actively match parents with egg donors. They sort of leave it up to the egg donor. And a few intended parents have felt that they don't have much say and they almost feel forced to accept whoever reaches out to them. Um, obviously, within, with travelling donors, we have a completely different approach where we like to facilitate, you know, more of a warm and friendly introduction between the two parties. Um, everyone, you know, the, the donors get a profile of the intended parents. The intended parents get to have a short list of who they'd like to speak to. And then after the Skype call, each party, you know, we have what, what we call like a 72-hour cooling off period. And if everyone's still happy to move forward after that, then we're able to progress to the next stages. And we're also, you know, we're able to also facilitate, you know, genetic screening at a much greatly reduced cost. Um, I know some of the genetic screening costs in Australia are like 750 AUD per person, whereas because we have a relationship with the, the lab in the US, our donor screening costs are only $200. And then for the intended parent, um, it's $100 excluding shipping. So it's about half the cost um, to do some of the tests through us. Um, and we also operate with, a, with great transparency. Um, there's no hidden costs. What you see is real live costs. I've had people ask, oh, I wish, you know, can't we get a discount? I was like, well, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to discount blood tests and Airbnb <laughs> costs. Um, 
But yeah, yeah. unfortunately, IVF is an expensive um, process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yes, there are countries like Poland and Prague uh, that have, you know, really affordable donor programs. But in countries like that, you don't get to select your donor, you don't get to see photos of the donor. Um, it's all anonymous and it's it's left up to the doctor to select somebody on your behalf, which for me personally, if I needed an egg donor, I'm not sure if that would be something I'm very comfortable with. I'd want to know um, who this woman is. Um, I would like to know a bit about her motivation, definitely about her family history, um, photos of her and her family to see if, you know, we would look like we belong from the same family. And often mm. um, when, when we do facilitate donor matches, it really is exciting for me. And I really enjoy my job when we are able to facilitate matches where it looks like um, there could be um, aunts or, you know, second cousins or somehow related um, phenotypically. Mm. I mean, it is important. And I wouldn't like someone choosing for me and taking away my choice. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband and I, um, we used a sperm donor, um, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like America where you're able to see adult pictures. In Australia, you're only able to see um, pictures of them as a baby or as a child. So I'm not sure how old um, they're up to, but um, our donor, we could see them at, I think it was a seven-year-old. But... I think the most important thing when we were reading the application was his personal letter to, you know, the yeah. intended parents. You know, it was it was genuine and there was a connection and it, you know, met all of our family values and what we wanted to achieve. Um, you know, and of course we looked at um, a match in terms of height, hair colour, education, eye colour, etc. you know, to match my husband. But I think what got us were his words, and that was the emotional connection for us. Mm. And you're right, it is about emotional connection. And, you know, I often see intended parents really struggling with the decision to select a donor. And, you know, my sort of motto is, well, the goal is to have a healthy, happy baby, right? So sometimes we get so bogged down with all these details that are not necessarily important, Um you know, like we're not we were not building a bear. It's not designed a baby. Um, we we do want to make sure that we match. You know, hair color, eye color, height, education. We do ask our donors for short introductory videos as well. So for those that we have on file, um, we're happy to share. You know, of the top two candidates prior to the Skype call, just to provide as much information to make the intended parents feel confident in the decision that they're making. Because it is a, it is a life changing decision and one that you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life if it is successful. So we do want to make sure it is something that everyone is comfortable with um, at the end of the day. That's great. Um, and if someone's listening and they wanted to get in touch with yourself, how how can they get in touch? So the best way to get in touch with us is through our website or direct email. Mm-hmm. I'm going to provide two um, because sometimes one server in South Africa doesn't always play a game. Um, it's info at tdfertility.com. And when you do email us, um, it's always great to give a short introduction about who you are, what city you live in, 
um, please provide me with your WhatsApp number because um, nowadays it's often the easiest way to get in touch with uh, people across different time zones. Provide me a little bit about what type of donor you're looking for, um, your you know ethnicity, um, height, eye color, and also if you could send one or two photos right from the beginning. That really makes it, our job a lot easier because we're able to let you know right from the start um, if we feel we have um, donors available either within Australia that um, would be a suitable match or if we would need to discuss um, one of our international embryo shipping programs with you. And then the second email that you can contact us on is info at travelingdonors.com, with traveling with one L, not two. And you could provide the same information and we will get back to you within 48 hours. It will either be myself or my colleague Savannah or Roxy, who have also started to assist me with um, intended parent introductions and liaising with them. And I, I often, I always ask to arrange a call with my intended parents. However, not everybody takes me up on that. Mm. Um, I do find that is the best way to ask me questions directly. And it really does. Um, allow you to get to know me as a person yeah. or the coordinator um, it also dispels any fears that you have um, about the process because a lot of the time you know we've been asked many of these questions before um, so it's much faster for you to quickly have a half an hour conversation with us versus you know exchanging say 20 different emails back and forth and then lastly I have done about seven podcasts talking about egg donation this is probably one of the more detailed ones within Australia. And I do recommend to please listen to them because they are very informative and they will answer a lot of questions that you already have um, prior to contacting us. And it will just give you some direction and guidance into what this process will look like once you have selected a egg donor and make you feel a little bit more comfortable about the next steps. Excellent. Well, what I will do is um, put all of the information in the show notes so um, so people can yeah click on the link and it will just be taken directly to your website and to your contact details. Thank you very much, Ella. <laughs> well, Genevieve, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, it's been so informative and, you know, I just love that it's another option for people because I do understand that there is an egg shortage in Australia. So having another option for people is always a fantastic thing. Um, so thank you again for your time. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure and I'm, I'm just glad to create and share awareness and education with those um, couples in need within Australia as I know many of them feel like they don't have many options available and they often feel that they're forced to only go to somewhere like South Africa or Greece um, but there is another option for available to you and um, that doesn't require you to travel overseas um, because as we all know taking for both husband and wife to take two weeks off is often not quite feasible uh, for, for many people so you know don't don't be in despair there is there is an alternative option and you feel free to reach out to me and we'll try and assist you as best we can yeah i think that's good you know because it's just that initial chat right and then you can decide on whether it's going to be the best option for you or not yeah all starts with a talk okay well thank you again genevieve and look after yourself thanks Ella. same to you bye-bye take care